Okay, the first reading is from Mark 42 to 47, and it may be found on page 1067. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that this was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Is there any hope? Is there any hope for our world, for our community? Is there any hope for you? When you're growing up, I think you've always, at least in our culture, seemed to have hope. Uh, There are things to look forward to. The world can seem like it's your oyster. uh, And life is ahead of you. But things come in that threaten hope, don't they? There can be relationships that break down, things that don't work out. You don't get into the course that you wanted. uh, And there's sickness. But there's nothing that kills hope quite like death. I might have told you a bit before about the husband who rang me up and said he needed to come uh, and arrange for the interment of his wife's ashes, Uh, not because she was dead. She was alive, but she was dying. And they wanted her ashes to be placed in the same grave that their three-day-old son had been placed in 50 years before. So we stood up there, up near the church. She stood next to the grave and we talked about arranging her funeral and arranging her burial. There's nothing that kills hope quite like death. It's true for Jesus and it's true for all of us. In the uh, passage tonight, uh, we read of a man who knew what it was to hope. His name's Joseph, verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea. He himself was waiting, he was hoping for the kingdom of God. For God had promised that there was a kingdom coming, that his king was coming, who would deal with all of this stuff, who would even deal with death. And God's people were waiting. They'd been waiting for centuries and Joseph was waiting. And the expectation was there that Jesus was this king. After all, he said, the kingdom of God is near. I am that king. Joseph is waiting. But it's a strange sort of waiting. Do you notice that he's a a prominent member of the council? This is the council that condemned Jesus to death. All of them condemned him to death, including Joseph. And he's not a backbencher, he's a prominent member of the council. But underneath that, he was waiting for the kingdom of God, he's impressed by Jesus, and he thinks that Jesus may just have been that king. And so he boldly goes to Pilate, and he asked for the king, and he waited. 
What does he get from Pilate? Verse 44, Pilate's surprised to hear that he was already dead, this Jesus, summoning the centurion. He asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. Joseph was waiting, hoping for the kingdom of God. And what does he get? A corpse. A dead, lifeless body. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. It's a touching, poignant scene, isn't it? He takes care of the body. He treats it with dignity. The women are looking on. It's touching and poignant, but it's really pathetic. It's tragic. It's hopeless. Here is the king that the crowds were following. Where are the crowds now? Where are his disciples who are following him? Where is this king? There's just a mangled, dead body in a stranger's arms, in a stranger's tomb. Waiting for the kingdom of God, hoping for the kingdom of God, and that hope is dead. There is nothing that kills hope quite like death. Mind you, for us, the sadness is quite short-lived, isn't it? We don't even notice that it's a new chapter. We just march straight on in because we know exactly what happens next. We know who wins and how he wins. And the end of uh, chapter 15, it just gives you clues to know what's going to happen next. That's its whole point, isn't it? Uh, He rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Yippee! The stone's going to be rolled away. There are women there, verse 47. Yippee! They're the ones who are going to be there Sunday morning. We are there already in our minds, aren't we? And we know the story. The women go to the tomb. They ask, who will roll away the stone? They get there, behold, the stone is rolled away. They enter and there's a guy there and he says, he has risen, he's not here. So they run and tell the the men and on the way they see Jesus. They tell Peter and John and Peter and John run and, and Peter sees Jesus. That night, 10 of them are in a room and they see Jesus. Thomas is not there, but the next week, don't worry, Thomas gets to see him. Another time, 500 people see him. None of it is a surprise to us. We know exactly how it happens. And we struggle to get excited about it. Except that Mark's gospel does have a big surprise. Let's have a read. We start at the beginning of 16. When the Sabbath was over... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. 
He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Well, I promised you a surprise. But what is it? This is the standard story, isn't it? Uh, the, the Sabbath is over. They go early in the morning. The women are there. They say, who will roll the stone away? And the stone is rolled away. Uh, the, 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 there's an empty tomb except for a guy who says, he has risen. He is not here. What's the surprise? What's different here about Mark's story? Well, that's it. That's the surprise. Because that's it. That's all he says. Do you get it? They go to the tomb. The stone's rolled away. The guy says, he is risen. He's not here. And that's the end of the story. Don't you think that's weird? Especially when you know the three other Gospels and all the great things that happen. Why would you leave out those great stories? More to the point, why would you leave out the star of the show? Where's Jesus? Well, you know the answer to that question. He is not here. But you could have him in the garden, couldn't you? You could have him in the room that night. But Mark doesn't. He simply has someone say, he has risen, he is not here. When I was in Jerusalem, I went to the garden tomb, which may be the place where Jesus was interred and from which he rose. Sure enough, it's a cave dug out of the rock and there's a place inside, you walk in and there's a place where they lay bodies. This is quite common in the Middle East and there's a stone where you roll it across. I walk in, you see where it is, that's moving. It's empty. And then you look at the door. They've put this wooden door on, which is clearly not original. And on the door, in English, would you believe, are the words, He has risen. He is not here. It might sound a little corny, but it's very moving. It's an empty tomb. He has risen. He is not here. The people who are managing the garden want you to know Jesus has risen. The door's good. But imagine if they could have the Matthew, Luke and John version and have Jesus there. I'm risen, he says. Would that be better than the door? Do you think they'd get more tourists turn up? Of course they would. Why does Mark do it this way? When he could have had Jesus in his story alive. Has he run out of parchment? Reach the word limit? Is he angling for a sequel and then doesn't get the funding? No. Why does Mark finish here? Very simply, because this is enough. This is all you need to know. Mark's into brevity, he's into action, he's into this is it. Have you heard the words? He has risen. He is not here. What more do you need to know 
when Jesus was clearly dead and buried, when he died for sin under the judgment of God, all you need to hear are the words, he has risen, he is not here. This changes everything about Jesus. Have you ever had anyone say to you, look, there are many religious leaders, why should I follow Jesus? What makes him so special? Here is the answer. Every other religious leader, at least those who are not alive still, is in a tomb. They're dead and gone. Dead hope. Except he has risen. He is not here in the tomb. This changes everything about Jesus and declares him truly to be the king of the kingdom of God. Not only does it change everything about Jesus, it changes everything for us. When I was 12, my little brother died. Died suddenly of cot death. Until that moment, I thought life was full of hope. And I sort of had the idea that it would go on forever. Now I knew that death was real and awful and that death kills hope. And I knew there must be an answer. Is there any hope for me and for you? Who will roll away the stone for us? The darkness on Good Friday tells you that Jesus took the sin and took the punishment On the Sunday he has risen, he is not here, is all you need to know. For he has risen and defeated death and sin. And if we trust in him, we will rise as well. Do you remember the beginning of 1 Peter? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope. How? through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This changes everything about Jesus. It changes everything for us. What more do you need to know? He has risen. He is not here. We have a living hope. What a reason to celebrate. But it's not just that Mark finishes so soon that he leaves out so many great stories, that he doesn't even have Jesus on stage. It's the weird way he finishes right at the end. The man, the angel in the tomb says, he has risen, he's not here. Go and you'll see him in Galilee. And what did the women do? Verse 8, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, you can't blame the women. They've just walked into a tomb that was supposed to have a dead body in it. There's no one there. And someone who pretty likely seems to be an angel starts talking to them. Would you be freaked out? Of course you would. But why does Mark finish like that? Why does he have them trembling and bewildered Afraid and therefore talking to no one. Well, clearly they did talk to someone eventually, otherwise Mark wouldn't know to put it in his story, but he just wants to cut it right here. Afraid, talk to no one. Can you see how ridiculous it is? A dead king, the kingdom of God, and he has risen. It changes everything about Jesus and everything for us. He has conquered death 
for us. And they said nothing to anyone. It'd be like my little brother dying and three days later coming back to life, but I don't tell anyone about it. Or more than that, actually, it'd be like someone finding the cure to death. They raise my brother and then raise everyone else as well in the future. And I don't tell anyone. How ridiculous would that be? That would be a capital crime. And that's exactly what Mark wants us to see, I reckon. They were afraid, so they told no one. And that's what it was like for the early Christians who needed to honour Christ as Lord and therefore speak about him even when they were afraid. Sound familiar? Mark shows us what the women did so that we would see not to do that. We have such a great living hope that people need to hear so much that it would be madness to be afraid and not to tell But finally, there's another reason why Mark finishes like this. Jesus has risen and they were afraid. This is not the first time that Jesus does something extraordinary in Mark's gospel and people are afraid. Remember the time when they're in the boat and there's a great storm on the the lake and the disciples are afraid, they're terrified they're going to drown and so they wake up Jesus and Jesus stands up and says to the wind and the waves, Be still. And they are. And you'd think perhaps that the disciples then would be calm and no longer afraid. Do you know know what happens? They are more afraid afterwards. They are terrified. Why? Because there is something more scary than a storm that might kill you. What is it? A man who can stop that storm by talking. Another time there's a man who's possessed by a whole legion of demons. Everyone is afraid of him. He's chained up. But Jesus speaks to him and now he's in his right mind. Are the villagers now relaxed and calm and comfortable with the whole situation? No, they are more afraid now. Why? What could be more scary than a demon-possessed man who can kill you? A man who can cast out those demons with a word. Jesus has been crucified by the mighty Roman Empire and the disciples are terrified that the same thing will happen to them. They are afraid. Jesus conquers that death. He rises from the dead. You'd expect them now to be not afraid, wouldn't you? All is well. What can the Romans do to us? But there's something more scary than crucifixion, something more scary than death. What is it? A man who can rise from the dead and who therefore has the power of death over you. If we don't have our trust in Jesus and our hope in Jesus, we have every reason to be like these women, afraid. And if we have friends and family like we do, who do not have their trust in Jesus and their hope in Jesus, they have every reason to be afraid. For Paul says, God commands all people everywhere to repent for he set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed. 
He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. He has risen equals he will judge. Israel Folau was sacked by the Rugby Union Association of Australia. Sacked because he made comments on social media, essentially warning sinners that if they didn't repent, hell awaits them. In my judgment, he could have been gentler, he could have been wiser in the way that he said it. It would have been really good to say that it's really about how you respond to Jesus, not whether you do certain sins or not. But he had one thing right. If you know Jesus, you know hope. If you do not know Jesus, you have no hope. For he has risen means he will judge and you therefore have every reason to be afraid. Is there any hope for me? Yes. He has risen and we will rise as well. Rejoice. But for those who don't know Jesus, is there any hope? For them? For you? If you have no Jesus, you have no hope and you have every reason to be afraid. That's why we need to not say nothing because we are afraid. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this extraordinary account that Mark has Thanks for how it's different to the other Gospels. Thanks for how pointed it is, helping us to see that this is all we need to know, that Christ has risen. He has conquered death for us. And Father, thanks for showing us the women's response here and how understandable it is and yet how ridiculous it would be to say nothing to anyone. Help us to see that Christ has risen means he will judge. And so for the sake of how good the hope is and for the sake of what it's like not to have this hope, Father, help us to overcome our fear and speak. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.